0: And thanks to Calvin for reading. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that word from Christ where he says, go tell that fox. Go tell that fox that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Go tell that fox that I'm going to mind my business. I love this passage because Jesus has such a, such a consciousness of his own work. He's so conscious of his own business, what's his to tend. And um, that's why I wanted to include that lectionary gospel reading today, even though it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with this particular sermon aside from Christ, the Christ being so conscious of his work. And I just love that. I just want to say, go tell that box. Um, So anymore, I think of the spiritual journey in terms of consciousness, Um, specifically like, scientifically, consciousness is a new frontier and it's difficult to study and difficult to define. But for our purposes today, I'm using this word specifically to mean simply a state of being awake to a larger reality that is not necessarily apparent or visible. Um, in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, consciousness is referred to with words like awake and asleep. Isaiah says, awake sleeper and rise, shine for your light has come. And Romans 13 says the hour has come for you to wake from your slumber. So I tend to think these days of our journey here as one of becoming increasingly and progressively awake to the kingdom of God, to the spiritual realities around us, and to our true self. Our inner identity as beings made in the image of God. So I want to read uh, the first Testament passage for this week's lectionary from this week's lectionary text. This is Genesis 15, and I'm reading the inclusive translation. After these events, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, I will make your reward very great. But Abram said, But my sovereign, my God, What good are these blessings to me so long as Sarai and I will die in disgrace? Sarai is Abram's wife. My only heir is a foreigner who lives in my household, Eliezer of Damascus. Since you have given me no offspring, Abram continued, an attendant in my house will be my heir. Abram's throwing a little shade there. Then the word of Yahweh came to Abram and said, this person will not be your heir. Your heir will be of your own flesh and blood. And then God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. As many as that you will have for descendants. Abram believed Yahweh and God accounted it to Abram as righteousness Yahweh then said to Abram, I am Yahweh who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as a possession. And Abram asked, Sovereign God, how am I to know that I will possess it? God answered Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these and cut them in half and placed each half opposite the other except the birds, which he didn't cut up. Birds of prey swooped down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was about to set, a trance fell over Abram and a deep, terrifying darkness enveloped him. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking brazier and a flaming torch appeared, which passed between the halves of the sacrifices. On that day, Yahweh made this covenant with Abram. To your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. We hear the voice of God in the reading of these of this ancient text. Thanks be to God. So I'm thinking about the story of Abram. Abram is Abraham, but he hasn't got his new name yet. That happens uh, two chapters later, chapter 17. I'm thinking about how old Abe has to make a pretty major shift in his consciousness. God invites him to move from this sort of um, like, I can only embrace a reality that I can see and touch kind of consciousness, which for him is the fact that he has no heir and his family line is in danger of being cut off, which for an ancient dude would be a real bummer even more so than it is for folks now like Abe's consciousness is fixated on what he perceives as his lack. He lacks this one thing that would make his life complete. And he is so preoccupied with the lack of this one thing. He's so full of grief over this disappointment in his life. And that grief poisons his ability to be grateful for anything else. Abram's an old man and he's full of grief because he believes that his dream which is to leave behind a legacy for his family, is dead. And it's dead because of circumstances outside of Abram's control. He's done everything he knows to do to remedy the situation of what is for him the ultimate disappointment. His dream is dead. I wonder if you have ever felt like this like, this one thing, this dream that you had was unattainable. And maybe your identity is so wrapped up in this dream, this thing, maybe you've been working towards for years or laying the groundwork for for years. And for whatever particular reasons, your dream doesn't pan out. Your dream is dead. Have you ever experienced the disappointment and grief that comes with the death of a dream I think it happens to all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. Maybe the job you wanted didn't pan out or your marriage ended or you got sick or an economic downturn happened or, 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 or. And we hear this same echo in this ancient tale, in this myth, right? You know what I mean when I say the word myth? I mean a story that's truer than true. It's true across ages and epochs. A myth is a story that has resonance deep inside human consciousness, regardless of whether the story is factually or historically correct. Now, some of us tend to, here tend to believe that the story of Abram is more of an archetypal or mythological story. And others in this group would contend that it is historically factual. But that's neither here nor there. It doesn't really matter because the story represents a portion of the human experience in this world that is universal. So I'm saying to y'all today, I'm using this story mythologically because we can all or most of us see ourselves inside of it. We know what it feels like, especially if we're over eh, about 30, to be distraught over the death of a dream due to circumstances beyond our control. Yes, You've probably felt this. So I was listening the other day to Elizabeth Gilbert's podcast. It's kind of old. It's called Magic Lessons. It's from um, 2015, 2016. And it's great. And this one young woman comes on and she's sharing the story of how she is a poet. And poetry is the art form of her soul. And how she, for most of her life, wrote poetry with such joy and it just flowed out of her. And in college, everybody she talked to, like all the authority figures in her life, told her that the only way she would succeed as a poet would be to go to graduate school and get an MFA in poetry. So she takes her advice and she throws all of her energy into getting a graduate, getting into a graduate MFA program. And she applies to a dozen programs, literally 12 and every single one reject her and this young woman shares on the podcast how this crushes her spirit like all these very well respected writers in charge of creating write- creative writing programs all over the country read her work and they judge her to be not good enough and she falls into a despair over this because She's identified herself as a poet and all these people are telling her that she's no good. And now what? So she goes for a long time, just too demoralized to write. Her spirit for writing just dries up and her dream is dead. Can you hear that same despair there in the voice of Abraham as he says, you've given me no offspring, God. And have you felt that same despair in your own life when your own dream died? So interestingly, interestingly, in the podcast, what Elizabeth Gilbert does next just reeks of beautiful wisdom. She gently and winsomely coaxes and coaches this young woman into seeing herself and her situation from a longer term, wider lens perspective like she gives this this young woman an assignment and the assignment is to read one of the four most ancient epic poems in human history she tells her to pick either the vedas gilgamesh the iliad or the odyssey and to read that so that she will know in her bones that poetry and poets existed long before mfa programs existed And that poetry is an art form that's ubiquitous to humanity. She invites this young poet to place herself inside of a tradition and an ancient sect of humans who try to observe the world and recount it in that special way that is poetry, and to re identify herself in light of the glorious, abundant tradition of art. Liz Gilbert invites the young poet into a new level of consciousness, a consciousness which focuses on the joy of making art, the boundlessness of it, regardless of whether any external authority figures ever validate it. And to commemorate this new consciousness, Liz also invites the young poet to do a ritual for herself. And that ritual is to create for herself her own diploma. Uh, An actual tangible document to signify her having qualified herself by way of her own authority and, and her ongoing participation in her art form, her like graduation, if you will, into this new level of consciousness. It's so beautiful. I listened to like a dozen episodes of this podcast yesterday, and my own soul I was soothed and inspired by Elizabeth Gilbert's wisdom, even as I wrestle myself with the death of some of my own dreams. And I work through the grief and heartache and disappointment, and I struggle to reimagine myself in the aftermath. And it strikes me that it's so very like what God does with Abram as Abram is absorbed in his grief over the death of his dream. What God does in this situation with his pal Abe, just like Liz does, is to take him outside himself for a wider perspective. Just imagine, this is ancient times. There are no cities. There are no streetlights, no light pollution. The heavens are glowing with stars. The eye can see for light years. If you've ever taken yourself out to the country somewhere to look at the stars, probably just multiply, multiply that picture by five or ten. And maybe that'll help you imagine the kind of star scene that God shows Abram. Count them if you can, God says. This is what your legacy will be like, Abe. This is how glorious and beautiful and full of light your legacy on earth will be. You think your dream is dead, but look up at the stars and they will show you a perspective beyond your meager imaginings. You think your dream is dead, but in reality, it is sleeping there with the stars. So Abram decides to believe. He gets initiated. Abram gets initiated into a new consciousness. Before, he was focused on the thing that he lacks and longs for. And God invites him to dwell inside a new reality in which the thing he longs for, in his case, it's descendants or an heir, is as abundant as stars in the night sky. He decides to allow his consciousness to expand to the level of galaxies And to go along with what God says, he's like, okay, God, I'm all preoccupied with my little reality and my little problem here and my inability to see beyond what I lack. But you are inviting me to see abundance, to see the heavens, to see innumerable blessings out there that I couldn't imagine before. So, okay. He agrees to shift his consciousness from scarcity to abundance, but he has a little trouble with it. So to help Abram, overcome the trouble, Abram and God do a bit of a ritual to mark the change, this turning point of Abram choosing to believe that abundance is real and good things are coming and to expand his perspective beyond what he can see, feel, taste, hear, smell. Now, in their case, the ritual is they kill some animals and chop them in half. Uh, And then Abram falls asleep and a fire pot and a torch pass over the carcasses. And I don't really understand that part of the ritual, but it seems to resonate for Abe. And that's the day that God makes the famous covenant with Abram. Abram, who becomes Abraham later, promising him that he'll have a family and a homeland and an identity and a legacy. And my point here is that the ritual... Marks the shift in consciousness that Abram has undergone and helps him solidify that he's been willing, the ways he's been willing to reimagine reality. And that's the part that does resonate with me. I get that I need ritual. And I think all humans do. To help us mark the moments when we expand our consciousness whenever we get a new perspective on our reality, usually in a way that's beyond the reach of our senses, but rather is connected to our intuition and our inner knowing, I think we usually need a ritual. And the point about ritual is that, yes, your consciousness is expanded beyond the tangible, but the ritual brings the intangible back into the tangible as a solid, concrete reminder of what's happened in your inner being. Okay. That's why God and Abe got some tangible animals to slay and dismember as a visceral reminder of Abram's new consciousness. I don't really get that, that ritual. It doesn't resonate for me. But that's also why Liz Gilbert asked the young poet to make herself a diploma that she could feel and see and touch to remind herself that she's the one who decides in her own spirit and practice, whether she's a poet or not, the tangible thing, the tangible thing reminds us of the intangible reality. Incidentally, this is what we're planning to do next week when we celebrate the ordination of our head deacon, Jana Munoz. We are recognizing that Jana has been initiated by God into a new expanded level of consciousness, a new understanding of herself beyond what's already apparent. God has done this in her, and we are responding to that shift in consciousness by way of communal ritual of ordination. Okay. People don't do the initiating. People only recognize what the divine has already done and create a space or action to honor that, which is something that we really like doing around here. We like walking with one another and recognizing when one of us has had some profound God-facilitated shift in consciousness and marking that shift together with an appropriate ritual. If you need this kind of help, dreaming up a ritual for yourself to mark some change in you that has occurred, let us know because we're full of ideas. So right now, as we're here in this season of Lent and re- self-reflection, Lent is all about consciousness. Some of us are fasting from certain things or adopting a new practice. We're working on ourselves during Lent. We're assessing to prepare our inner being for the reality of new life, resurrection, salvation, liberation, all the good things that the resurrection of Christ signifies to us. As we're here, I invite this community to contemplate a few things over the next few days. The first is, what of your dreams are dead? I think it's just a hard truth that sometimes in life our dreams die. Sometimes we get a miracle like Abram and a dream gets a resurrection, but not always. I think it happens to us sooner or later when we have to say, okay, that one's gone and it's never coming back. And I can guarantee you anything. I cannot just accept that, you'll have to work with it and wrestle with it and let it teach you what you need to learn. Because what I do know and what I can guarantee is that what happens to and with us in this life is always wanting to move us toward an expanded consciousness. Now, that is not me saying everything happens for a reason and minimizing our collective pain. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, Everything is a lesson if we let it be. Because remember how Anne Lamont says, This is Earth School. Sometimes what happens totally sucks. But there's almost always a route inside of it toward greater awareness and consciousness. For me, those big disappointments and dream losses have often involved identity work. Like I needed a bigger, wider concept of my own identity and to get more in alignment with my true self, to expand my consciousness of who I am and what I'm here to do and be. Other times, it's a case of us having outgrown a particular dream. Like maybe you clung to a dream all these years only to realize that you've evolved right past it. A dream doesn't serve you anymore. And we live in a culture, of course, that tells us don't quit, never quit, never quit. But if we just blindly follow that advice, we can find ourselves hanging on for far too long to what no longer serves us. Just just a little side note. You know what Abram does right after this big com- covenant conversation with God? <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's in Genesis 16, if you want to read it. But he basically flails around, like trying to force this dream to come true, force God's like promise to happen and he causes a lot of harm in the process because he's still got a lot of trust issues and he's like really fumbling here. Remember, this is where the story of Hagar and Ishmael comes in. Go read Genesis 16 for more on that. Cause a lot of harm, but sometimes we just end up spinning our wheels and trying to manhandle the dream by force. And I say, This is me. I say, if you need to quit a dream, do it consciously. Do it in collaboration with spirit and your truest self, which is the hidden with Christ in God. Do it with great love and compassion for yourself. Good spirituality, my friends. Good spirituality teaches us that death is not a dead end. It teaches us to embrace deaths as part of the journey. Our liturgy says Christ has reimagined death. Doesn't the life and message of the Christ teach us this lesson that death is not a dead end? But we still need... The meaning-making wider perspective, regardless of whether a dream is coming back or not. We still need the true self-input. We still need the rituals. Just in some cases, it might be a ritual of grief or lament or letting go. Some way that we give voice to our disappointment or our parting. So my second question for reflection is, where in your life do you need a wise companion to take you outside of yourself? outside of your current reality of loss and lack and scarcity and show you a wider, bigger truth? Could you ask for help from your friends or from the spirit? Could you put yourself in the path of wisdom in a new way? Could you ask the spirit to help you access that wider perspective about whatever it is you're going through? And quite frankly, would it help to actually drive out to a place where the light pollution is less and look at the actual stars shining in glory and abundance and allow the spirit to speak to your soul about the things of God and to put yourself back in touch with wonder? In this book, Say Yes, Discover the Surprising Life Beyond the Death of a Dream, Scott Erickson writes, Wonder is the rapturous experience of being alive. It's that moment when all our narratives about what is happening grow delightfully silent, and we're able, even for just a moment, to see reality for the beautiful gift it is. Wonder is not an exterior destination to arrive at like a mountaintop view or a once-in-a-lifetime concert. Those experiences may bring that feeling, but wonder is an internal filter through which we learn to look at life. How might you put yourself back in touch with wonder, with the rapturous experience of being alive? My friends, wonder is the powerful antidote to disappointment. And despair. And finally, where do you need to honor your own shifts in consciousness with tangible, meaningful ritual? There are any number of creative ways that humans do this. The sky is the limit. I've noticed lately that a, a go to ritual for a lot of people is to get a tattoo on their body that signifies their growth in some way which is kind of to me like a modern slash ancient way that people commemorate change. But there are all kinds of ways to do this. One of my ongoing dreams for this community is that we can be the kind of friends who are attentive to the initiations, the expansions of consciousness that are happening among us and use our creativity and love to create meaningful rituals that help us process and solidify the new reality. So that together, we're bringing the intangible, as of yet, commonwealth of heaven, the kingdom of God, down into our tangible reality. Because aside from fostering our own expanding consciousness, which always means that we have to be open to change within ourselves, Our other work is to help bring heaven to earth, which means that we're both changing within and we're changing the world outside ourselves. So that's why this week I'm inviting us as a community to reflect on our own journey of expanding consciousness. It's the inner work that becomes reflected in the outer world. So... May we be open to shifts in consciousness, to change, to self-reflection, to letting go of what needs to be released. And may we together be on a journey of ever-expanding awareness and compassion and love. Amen.